0: In the Old Covenant, your love for God was measured by your hatred for those who hated God. A lot of fun stuff happening. And uh, so we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping as we do usually in the beginning. Um, so holy cow, the Mike Winger video <laughs> was, is um, doing really good and so thank you um welcome all the new people i think we've grown by like 2,000 subscribers (laughs) since that's been put out which is crazy so welcome everyone uh who's new to the channel appreciate you joining um and uh glad you're here um other thing is i've been getting a lot of comments about one thing i said in particular and i think i should just try to clarify a little bit um that was when talking about the cross and i said in the video i believe i said some long lines of the cross doesn't represent how much we're worth it represents the wickedness like of how much in debt we were um and a lot of people replied with what about john three sixteen? for god so loved the world do you not think we're worth anything like is there no value in us um valid question absolutely valid question so let me just kind of explain that just a little bit we'll jump into this part of the video so and the reason why is because this video actually has this section has this concept in here so Yes, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Yes, that that is there in the Bible. I 100% agree with that. The part where I say that the, the cross doesn't uh, doesn't show us our value, but our our debt is. I guess I guess a better way I should say, I should phrase it is that it it doesn't it's not like it doesn't convey how much we're worth. It shows how much in debt we were that it took the Son of God to pay our wages, which was sin and death. That's what we were owed. And so that that's the idea is that it's not that I mean, I guess we have a way of wording it, but it's not that we're the cross doesn't say, oh, we're worth this much. It's more of when I see it and I, I look at the cross and I read the Bible, it's it's of a debt that had to be paid. So we weren't a really good investment. <laughs> if you look at it that way, like we we were in debt and he bailed us out. Um, so, um, I'm not going to belabor that point, but I hope, hope that clears that up. Um, okay, cool. So when we last left off, um, and to be clear, we're not going to go through the entire book because that would just be too much to go through this whole thing. Um, we're going to go tackle kind of the core problems with it and the foundations it's kind of built upon and go from there. So when we last left off, we went over the introduction, the preface, and we found some things mainly about second Kings and, and acts, how, he uses the idea of the lineage of Christ, both spiritually and physically, and how that is like an exposition to the Israelites and the Jews, or the Jews, I should say, to, hey, like this is the Messiah I was talking about. Um, and then using that you are sons of the prophets, not saying that there's a literal claim on prophecy that the Jews have, but just doing, it's an exposition of the spiritual and the physical lineage of Christ. So, um, that was a big, big uh, no-no. They didn't do that very well. Um, now, going to chapter one, there's a couple main things we want to tackle. So it starts off in chapter one, um, about how prophetic Ministry is looking for treasure. He basically uses Jeremiah 29:11. He goes off of that. Um, I mean, he he does a good summation of it. Like uh, I don't know if that's a word. He does a good summation. So I don't know where I got that? A good summary of it um, about how they're in Babylonian captivity. Um, the only thing I would say is that he calls it a message of hope. I don't know the way I read it. When I, when he says that, I look at it like the, there was a prophet earlier, I think it was in chapter 28 saying he was the false prophet saying, Oh, you're going to be here for, you know, um, uh, two years and be two years tops and you're out. And Jeremiah was more like buckle in, buddy. You're going to be here for 70 years, you know, plant gardens." Uh, marry wives, marry off your daughters, (laughs) pray for Babylon because as their welfare will be your welfare, uh, you're going to die here essentially. Um, which I'm like, that's not super hopeful, but I guess the other part where it says, you know, I have plans for you. So I I get it. I get it. I'm not going to, we're not going to be nitpicky here. Um, now what he does do though, this is partially why I wanted to address that is he uses Romans five, eight, which is the verse where it talks about while we were still sinners, Uh, He died for us on the cross and he takes that and he turns it into the price that Jesus paid on the cross determined the value of the people he purchased. This is where I'm pushing back on it. It's, again, I just, I don't think it's a fair summary because it wasn't a purchase in the sense of like we're worth, like it was, we're at zero, then Christ died and he purchased us and put value on it. It's like, no, we were in debt and he had to get us out of debt. So, if you're saying that the purchase showed our value, the purchase brought brought value. Um, I don't think it showed our value. Christ is the only one bringing value to this equation <laughs> is, is the point I'm trying to get to. In, the, in this equation, it wasn't that we had a high ticket value on us and then Christ bought, bought us through the cross. It's that we were so in debt that the only thing of such value that could pull us out of debt was the value of Christ and the cross. In his sacrifice so that's that's the pushback so he uses this to sum up that point um and i i just think i think that's it's just wrong it's just it's not not the way it's you should exegete romans 5 8 he says while we were still sinners it's not uh i'll I'll just read it real quick i'll read the little section he says um new testament prophetic ministry speaks to the high value of the divine potential god has given people this is the true purpose of prophetic ministry. It must be rooted in love, immersed in hope, and motivated by faith. The price that Jesus paid on the cross determined the value of the people he purchased. God saw something good in us, and even when we were sinners, Romans 5.8, Jesus didn't die for junk. Um, Jesus made it very clear that he bought an entire field so he could have treasure in the midst of it. Uh, we are his treasure, and of course he is ours. Okay, so that that's where I, I disagree with the way he's using Romans 5.8 with that summary. It, again, he's saying that, there was a value that was in us. It's like he loves us. Yes. For God so loved the world. That doesn't say that like, and yes, he created the, like he saw us and he created us. It was good. That's true in Genesis, but then there's the fall. That's where we're at now. We have to recognize it wasn't good. And then Jesus came. It was like, there's the fall. Now we're covered in sin. Now we're in need of a savior. Now we're in debt. The wages of our sin are death. There's a debt that's owed. Um, so that's kind of my first qualm there. But, you can agree, disagree on that. Where it really gets really gets tricky here is this the uh, moving on there. So it gets to a part of the book where it says, "From what covenant are you prophesying in?" Okay, this is how he justifies changing kind of the covenants in the prophetic. He says that unfortunately there are many believers who are who are prophesying as if they are still under the Old Testament. All right, and this is the proof text he uses: Matthew five forty three through forty five. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous. And then he goes on to say this. Have you ever noticed that God is the one who said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy? So that's why he's hinging this all on that one fact. God said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's right. Under the old covenant, it was God who actually sent the children of Israel into the promised land and commanded Joshua to kill everybody in the land. It was the genocide of Gentiles. In the old covenant, your love for God was measured by your hatred for those who hated God. Again, your love for God was measured by your hatred for those who hated God. And then he uses, again, the proof text he uses, Matthew 5:43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. All right, so then he goes on to say, even if some of your familiar story, even if, even some of our, the familiar stories we tell in Sunday school at their core reflect this hatred towards the enemy of God. Why did David kill Goliath? Because the Philistines were enemies of God. All right. So this is wrong. We, we can agree this is wrong. Um, the main reason being that his, the, the, he's hinging this on God said, uh, love your neighbor, hate your enemies, right? Okay. And that's his distinction of, then he says, Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Okay, big problem here. Because we know when Jesus quotes the Old Testament, there's a a point in text or when Jesus is quoting God, you could say, or the old, you know, something written in Exodus or the Psalms or, you know, I think there's one in Leviticus he quotes. Uh, when he quotes these, we we can look in our Bibles and we can see a little reference that, that can see where he's doing that, right? And also he says, but I say to you, all right, and this is what he is saying. But when he says, you've heard that it was said, there's no scripture for that. There's no thing in, in Deuteronomy or Leviticus or Exodus, there's scripture text for us. This is because he's not quoting the Old Testament. He's not quoting the Torah. He's not quoting the old Mosaic law. He's quoting Pharisees and Sadducees. He's quoting what they have been saying. Um, one commentary pointed out that it's it, you could almost picture like the Pharisees and Sadducees there listening to him and almost jabbing at them saying, you've heard it was said, because this, this there are extra biblical laws they've added to the Mosaic Law. These are all the extra things they've said that you have to love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And he's actually calling them back to the Old Testament, what the actual law is. Um, and we, can, we know that because God, uh, the way David with Saul, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But so he's using this to say, we sh- in the Old, Te- the Old Testament we showed our love through God to God by our hatred for others, for those who hated God. And then he uses the wars that the Israelites fought the Philistines and David Goliath and stuff. And you you you'll be hard pressed to find someone, a commentary or a theologian, that would say, oh, that was them showing their love for God. Israel was being used as a tool of judgment. On these people for their mockery of God it wasn't that Israel was like we love you so much God we will kill these people it's that there was a command from the Lord to kill these people because of their false idols because of their idol worship because of their sacrifices they're making it was Israel was a tool of judgment on these people and that's a big difference and also it it would cause God to change you know he would have to change his standard of how you love him like it would change this it would it would make an inconsistency in god which we can't we can't do that there can't be an inconsistency in god okay so a couple things i wanted to read um so i want to go to what was it first samuel 24 is one of my notes so this is a great example of that because david had an opportunity to kill his enemy and he didn't let's see here come 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 where we go this is why you should put it in the notes there we go first samuel 24. there we go all right 24 we'll start with 16. as soon as david had finished speaking these words to saul saul said is this your voice my son david and saul lifted up his voice and wept He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, uh, where I has repaid you evil. So, yeah, right there. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me in your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, he will let him go away safe. So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. So right there is a perfect example in the Old Testament, of loving your enemies. This is, you know, we can see David tapping into that New Testament um, uh, idea of, uh, uh, of the grace and forgiveness, um, I guess you could say. So David spares Saul's life. Um, the people of Israel being used as a tool of judgment, not that it was a love for the hatred of people. It's that there was a judgment that was owed to them by God. Um, And again, this is what he's hinging it on, is you've heard that it was said. So he's taking that you have heard as it was said as a command from God, when we know that's not what was a command from God. There wasn't a command to hate your enemies from God. Um, This was a situation where he was more quoting Pharisees and Sadducees, because if he was quoting the Old Testament, we would see in the text somewhere where it says he he heard it said, and he'd quote it much like out of the verses when that happens. All right, so that's the first big qualm. Moving on to the next qualm, uh, which is in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25. Um, all right, so, in here he has, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Then he goes on to say, Notice in this passage, the person who receives the prophetic word doesn't repent, but rather will fall on his face and worship God. Most people know what is wrong with them, but they are unaware of the greatness that God has placed in their lives. This is the the divine secret that prophecy identifies and calls out. Jesus didn't die for our sins to be forgiven, but he offered up his life because we fell short of the glory of God. Prophecy brings people into a revelation of the glory of God that has assigned to them, That God has assigned to them. Jesus died for our sins, so we could actually step into the revelation of his glory. Too many times people mistakenly think that the more they go on and on about the sin and junk in someone's life, the more inclined that sinner will be to repent and turn to God. This is just not true. Paul tells us that it is the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Uh, That's Romans 2.4. This foundation of God's goodness should also be the foundation for the prophetic ministry. Instead of calling out people's sins, we should tell them about the glory God has intended for them to live in. This exposure brings conviction in their lives that they are all living below the glorious standard that God has set for them. All right, so there's a lot to unpack here. I'm going to tackle first uh, the Jesus didn't die for our sins to be forgiven, but he offered up his life because we fell short of the glory of God. All right, this is an interesting take. Um, if we go to 1 John 1, nine, I believe. It's pretty specific about Jesus dying. And he offers us forgiveness of our sins. Uh, let's see, here's 1 John. It's one of those really tiny books that so goes by fast. There we go. Oh, that's Peter. There we go, One nine. So we'll start in 5. This is the message we have brought from him and to proclaim to you that God is light and in him no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light and he is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, there's a big part there, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So there's a couple things there. He's talking about how we don't need to mention people's sins. Now, I'm not saying we need to go around Bible bashing people for their sins. I get, I get what he is saying. I get the premise here. The problem is we can't, we can't just throw it all out because there is a recognition, recognition that we need to confess our sins so that we may repent of our sins and be forgiven. Um, and that's the second part I want to hit on when he talks about the goodness of God. What, when you talk about the goodness of God, so that's Romans two, four, I believe. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance, which I love. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judge, for in passing judgment to one another, you condemn yourself, because you judge the practice the very same thing. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, that you, who judge those who practice such things, and yet do and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume the riches of His kindness and the forbearance of patience that not knowing God's of patience that not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impatient heart, impen, impendent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath? When God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So, right there, let's go back to that verse four. Do you presume the riches of His kindness and the forbearance of His patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So, again, it's this, it's taking these a bit out of context and not really taking the full scope. So, if we take First John one nine, talking about how. I'll read that one verse one more time. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. So he's faithful to forgive us of our sins. And then he says the reason why Jesus didn't die on the cross wasn't for our sins to be forgiven, but he offered up his life so that, because we fell short of the glory of God. That statement right there just contradicts itself. Why do we fall short of the glory of God? It's because of our sins. <laughs> it's like, that's the whole reason we fall short of the glory of God. That's why we need forgiveness. That's why he died on the cross. That's the whole point. Down the cross for the forgiveness of our sins because we fall short of the glory of God because of our sins. So it's, you're kind of using two scriptures and you're counteracting them. Like you're, you, they don't, they're not clicking there. Um, so that 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 we haven't even touched on the prophetic part yet so i wanted to tackle those two things first i think that that kind of squares that up um he did die for the forgiveness of our sins because we because of our sin we all fell short of the glory of god that's why we need forgiveness of our sins and then first john 1 9 talks about if we if we uh, con- confess our sins and repent he offers us forgiveness that's the whole point all right so let's go back to first corinthians <sighs> so first corinthians 14 25 now this is really interesting because it comes it comes down really down to the word study of this is really the big one because the word study on this is really what makes a big difference. So when we look at this, let me get it pulled up here. I had it. There we go. My strongest concordance. All right. So let's read it one more time. Um, by people of strange tongues and by lips of the foreigners, I will speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign for non- a sign not for believers but for unbelievers while prophecy is a sign for unbelievers oh i'm reading the wrong one Oh, here we go, yeah. I'll keep going. For unbelievers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted, that's a big one, convicted, by all and he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Okay. So that word convicted is the big one. So Chris Valentin uses this to say that if all prophesy an unbeliever or an undigifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all and the secrets of his heart is disclosed. So he talks about how the New Testament prophecy is meant to basically tell the secrets of the heart. That's the idea. It's not to call out the dirt in people, but to call it the gold of people. So if you're going to use that verse for that, we got to really understand what this verse is saying. So if we go to that word convicted um, in the Greek, this is really amazing. Uh, the Greek, that word is alenghu. I'm probably saying it wrong. Uh, but here's what it means. Um, it's, not a, it's not a fun word. <laughs> it's not like a, um, it's not a calling out the gold kind of word. Uh, it means to convict, to refute, to confute. Uh, generally with a suggestion of shame of the person convicted, uh, by conviction to bring to light or to expose, to find fault with, to correct, uh, to reprehend, to severely, uh, reprehend severely, to admonish, to call to account, to show one's fault, to, to demand explanation, uh, to punish. So that word convicted, just in the Greek, if we use that in context, not one of those words are pointing to calling out the gold through, if all prophesying unbeliever or ungifted man enters, he is convicted. So if I take that word and I say, oh, he's convicted. So that means through prophecy, they called out the gold. No. <laughs> it says that that word convicted would mean they were a uh, suggestion of shame, conviction br- to bring to light, to expose, to find fault with. The finding fault with someone is the exact opposite of calling out the gold in someone. That's not what this word is saying. It's a word that is meant to be like, like you're in a court and like, it's like the the way I, I was reading commentary. It's like, if you're in a court and the, um, the prosecutor, is is convicting you he's calling out all the things that are wrong he's bringing to light all the things you've done wrong um it's it's not this thing where it's like oh you're amazing you're awesome it's no you need to be called to account we're showing your fault and we need an explanation (laughs) it's it's not that and so again the point of this is going through the, the proof text they're using to justify their version of new testament prophecy isn't working um And then to held by account by all is saying like, okay, so you're being held to account for what you've done. And it's, it's, I see it more of like prophecy is doing what a lot of the Old Testament prophecy did, which was it showed people God's law, calling people back to God's law, saying, here's where you fell short. And then again, the goodness of God, like how can you recognize the goodness of God outside of realizing how far you are from God? Like how, uh, how how deep in your sin you are and even again while we were still sinners he died for us that makes much more sense of like oh my gosh I see how much of a sinner I am I see how far from you I am I see how how much I fall like I, I've fallen short of the glory because of this I'm I'm convicted by this and I'm held to account by the people around me and I can't help but worship God from his goodness for him. But even while I'm in this state, while I'm still a sinner, he sent his son, died for me, and I repent of my sins, and he offers me forgiveness. Like that is, oh, that's like when I hear, like just preaching that gets me, not preaching, I'm, I'm not preaching, I'm not preaching. preacher. Just saying that gets me fired up. That's where I'm like, yes, this is what I needed to hear. Like this is the, this is the gospel I needed to hear. Not just, hey, you're awesome. You're amazing. God loves you. It's like that doesn't that's not what this is saying. And when you reduce prophecy down to that, you rob people of these moments that this this man clearly had. He fell on his face and worshiped God. Like I, I get that, declaring that he is certainly among you. Like, yes, like I that's I was that guy. <laughs> I feel like when I it finally hit me, I was like, oh I can't help but worship God and, and declare that this is this is among you, like hearing that gospel message. So yeah. I, th- I think that sums it up. That's that's a pretty good way to sum that up. Um, all right, we got one more section to hit here. It's in Corinthians as well. He goes on to 2 Corinthians. Okay, 2 Corinthians 2 is where he's at, and that's uh, 5, 17 through 19. Now, this one's going to take, this is going to be some Pauline thinking, if you've ever, if you, if you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying, because um, this is Paul's big roundabout way, and so we're going to have to read the whole thing. So let me read. I'm going to start we'll start by reading so he reads just the he reads just um 17 through 19 but we're going to read the whole thing uh, because it helps a lot when you put the whole thing in context here so we're going to start from verse 6. so we are always of good courage we know that while we are at home in the body we are away from the lord for we walk by faith not by sight yes we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the lord so whether you are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appeal before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, I always, one of my favorite teachers always says, if, when we see a therefore, you got to see what's there for. So therefore, so what do what, so what we just summarize there? Um, that we know that we're going to be held account before the judgment seat of Christ um, for all that we have done. Uh, So therefore, knowing that we're going to be held to account, knowing the fear of the Lord, he says, we persuade others, uh, but what we are known, uh, what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to you, your conscience. We are not uh, commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in the right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. that is in christ god was re- reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors of christ god making his appeal through us through us we implore you on behalf of christ be reconciled to god all right so a lot to cover there and this is going to be our last bit so we know that in this verse i should probably read what, what he says so after that he says the prophetic ministry empowers us to participate in the ministry of reconciliation, that has been assigned to all Christians. The Father's heart is to reconcile all humankind to Himself, people, communities, and entire nations. The ministry of reconciliation involves not counting people's sins against them. Every kind of ministry that we participate in, whether it is the ministry of helps, administration, healing, prophetic ministry, all kind of motivation by one central core, reconciliation. Whether we step, whenever we step out of the ministry of reconciliation, there is a strong likelihood that we are carrying the wrong core values of ministry. Some who like to point out that certain people groups deserve to be judged because of their sin will often challenge the ministry of reconciliation. All right, so right now we have to define what is the ministry of reconciliation. It's the gospel. That is the gospel. If we we look at it, so uh, the, the big part, you look at all this from God, who Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, so he was reconciling. That means forgiving the world of its sins so they may come back to him, kind of restoring the standard, uh, ridding of the curse. Um, therefore, uh, let's see here. Reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of the reconcilia- of reconciliation. That is it. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So the ministry of reconciliation is the message of the gospel. That's what we, that's, we can conclude that here. So, the problem arises when we then say that uh, the ministry of reconciliation is not counting people's sins against them. Right. It's not counting people's sins against them, but it's not also, again, he's using, you have to remember, follow the line of thought. He's going back to the other verse in Corinthians where it's about calling out the gold. And we know that that word convict was actually about exposing how far we are from God's law which that's what the gospel does. It shows us that even when we're outside of God's law, there is forgiveness. We can be reconciled unto Christ because he reconciled the world to himself. You know, that is the ministry of reconciliation. So they have a distorted understanding here saying that someone who likes to point out certain people groups to be judged because of their sin will often challenge the ministry of reconciliation. That's not really true because... If we don't if, we, if we're not aware of what our wages are or what we're supposed to be judged, again, it's not saying that we're putting ourselves in the position of being the judge. It's saying that we know what's owed to us and we know what um, uh, what our wages are and that we're and then as, as and we know the fear of the Lord, like what Paul says, for we all must appear before the judgment seat. Therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, so knowing that we're all going to be held to account. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we are to persuade others. We are to share the ministry of reconciliation. So how do you know the fear of the Lord? How do you know what's going to be judged to you without knowing that you you have fallen short of the glory, that we are in sin? And so this is where we talk about where Bethel falls short about actually ministering the gospel, about actually bringing people the message of the gospel. Because even in their prophetic training here, they're saying that the ministry of reconciliation doesn't even, it's not involved in that. So that's where the distorted view of the gospel comes in, because they see it as oh, calling out the golden people. Because again, you have to—it's to, a long linear line of thought. what they're breaking out. But we go back to that verse in Corinthians about the talk about the man who's convicted. We know that word "convicted" doesn't mean to make you feel really good. It doesn't mean to call out the golden you. It means to call to account, to show their fault, to demand an explanation, to chasten, to punish. It's a different—it's different, you know. Um, and that really puts Bethel in a position where they're teaching a prophetic ministry that is actually antithetical to the proof text that they are using. Um, and that's not good. It's not good. Um, there's a last part here. He says, some believe that calling out greatness in people promotes pride. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. The truth of God's grace humbles people without degrading them and exalts people without inflaming them so and then i guess there's another little section um no we we can see all that well we basically he says nebuchadnezzar is saying he's humbly awesome but that's a whole another whole other thing the point i want to get across is from what i can see in my experience there this type of prophecy doesn't humble people it doesn't bring humility it actually brings pride and how can it not, when you're coming up to someone who you don't know what they believe, you don't know what, what their, their religion is, and you're going to come up and tell them that they're awesome, that God loves them, and that they should keep doing what they're doing? That's going to be a prophetic word to them? How is that not going to embolden them and make them proud of themselves? You know, you're not calling out their sin. You're not letting them know, hey, we all fall short of the glory. And you're not preaching the gospel and showing the gospel that brings the person to conviction to say, surely God is among you. <laughs> you know, you're not doing that. Um, and that's kind of the heartbreak in all this. It's that it's they're not sharing. As much as they say the sharing the full gospel is sharing it with power, they haven't got the gospel down to begin with. And that's the problem. Um, so, oh, okay, that's a lot. Um, and I'm getting heated. So probably a good place to stop. So I'll say, with all that being said, wrapping up, um, in conclusion, um, there is uh, the point, the Ministry of Reconciliation is the gospel. And we can't present the gospel without knowing why we need it which is we're short of our sins uh, we fall short of the glory of god because of our sins um, that big word conviction the greek word what it means get a hold of all that Rewatch it <laughs> um, and then also the matthew 5 of they used a proof text to change the old new testament prophecy based on our love for god was based on our hatred for others and we know that's not true it's just not true so again i hope you found this helpful um this has been another episode of Breaking Bethel. I really appreciate you guys. We got some big announcements coming up um, involving a potential podcast starting, and we're also going to be starting our Bethel exit interviews coming up. So be looking out for that. And um, I'll have to say thank you so much, guys. Appreciate you. God bless.